Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 22. While you're going there, uh, just a couple of things. One, if you are prepared to get water baptized, we're going to do that at the end of service. And then um, maybe you're not prepared, and uh, the Lord just might speak to you during service. You need to jump in and bury some things uh, in, the, in the baptismal. And so I just want to encourage you today that if that's you, and you say, well, I didn't come prepared, I don't, you know, have a towel or clothes or anything like that, well, that's okay. We have all that for you in the back, and we have a team of people that will help you back there. So uh, if you make that decision, the Lord maybe will prompt you or stir you during service, just uh, when we dismiss you, just go ahead and be a part of that. And if you came prepared for that, then we'll be doing that at the end. The next thing, I just want to let you know before I jump into today's message, over the course of this year, since uh, March, really, uh, everything changed back in March. I, I, if you'll just rewind the tapes of history, how, how many of you have heard anything about COVID? And uh, <laughs> if you haven't heard about it, you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, I'm sure. But, but anyway, we, we have... Um, Everything in our church changed back in March, and prior to March, I was uh, sharing with some of our staff this week that, you know, we were gearing up for this time of year, we were preparing to do a walk through Bethlehem, which was going to be a uh, guided tour through the building of all the sights and sounds of Bethlehem uh, at the time of Christ's birth. We're still going to do that, uh, obviously not this year, but we're still going to do that. But we were talking about all of the different things and what what life we had planned on life to look like this year. How many of you have ever planned on life to look a certain way and uh, it didn't quite turn out the way you thought it would? Maybe your 2020 uh, didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to and uh, life is kind of taking you by surprise this year. That's okay. Jesus is not surprised. He's not off of his throne. He's still ruling and reigning all things by the word of his power. He's still directing the steps of your life. He's still ordering your steps. Come on, somebody. I'll preach myself happy this morning. If, if you won't go with me, that's okay. Though none should follow, still I will go, Lord. I will, I'll still preach if you're going to go or not. But uh, anyway, so since March, we have really turned our church into an outreach distribution center. We've, we've really become um, a distribution disaster relief center almost. It brings back memories of hurricane relief and such. Uh, in the south. But anyway, uh, that being said, um, we have served near, well, over 2,000 families since March. That's unique individual families representing nearly 7,000 people. I want you to think about that. Prior, prior to uh, March, we were serving 80 to 100 families at Night of Hope, um, and now we've gone to 500 families in one night through drive-through. I mean, we we are uh, rocking it out in that regard as a church, literally, and to see you, the church, meet the needs of our community in such a tangible, practical way and be Christ, be the hands and feet of Christ, has been absolutely incredible to watch. But uh, we have 7,000 names of people that need not just groceries, they need the love of Jesus Christ, and they need a church family. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I'm glad you're amening with me this morning. And so after the first of the year, we are going to make an uh, intentional effort to intentionally go out and reach out to those 7,000 people 
uh, and get them here in the church and make them part of our church family. Of course, if they're willing, we're not going to drag them kicking and screaming to church. Although, you know, if you decide to do that, don't tell me about it. Um, but anyway, uh, so we're, we're going to make a conscious effort, con- very concerted effort. If, you, if that interests you, if that sounds like something, hey, I would be really interested in being a part of that, um, please let us know. We're going to be giving out information about that. We're going to provide a little bit of training and how to do that in a COVID-friendly, safe way and still go out door to door to those homes and uh, minister to those families. So we want you to be a part of that. You're going to be getting information on that. After the first of the year, we'll be having ministry fairs and information. You'll be seeing things, if you've been with us for a while, some of the things that you'll see happen in January, like, oh, we've done that before. I remember doing that. That, Yep, we're starting to look like normal again. So uh, just be, be on the lookout for those things. In Luke chapter 22, I want to continue our, our series today on Christmas hope. And I want to take a look at the hope that we have in Christ's crucifixion in the cross. Last week, we took a look at the hope that we have in Christ coming in the, in the cradle, in the manger, in the, in the feeding trough. Today, I want to take a look at the cross of Christ. In the, in the most heinous act of all time, in the, in the most wicked display of the wickedness, the just depravity of humanity, we find hope. And I, w- I want to say to you today from the outset, we, we think about the baby, this innocent Christ, the innocent baby Jesus who was born in a manger, born in a feeding trough, born in a watering trough for you and I. This same Jesus, this same baby, his, his purpose, his intent in coming was to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This baby that was... It was wrapped in swaddling cloths. This baby who the, who the shepherds worshipped. This baby who the wise men came to see. This, this little infant, innocent baby was intended to go to the cross for you and I. That is why he came. That's why God came. He stepped into the form of humanity. That's why God came and manifest himself among us as as a man. He came under the law. He came as a baby for you and I. And in this demonstration of the, the wickedness of man and the most horrific death imaginable, we find hope. That tells me that today, no matter what you're facing, what you're going through, no matter what comes your way, you can find the hope of Christ in the middle of it. The Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. That in the middle of the depravity and the wickedness of man, Christ found his joy, and so can you. In the middle of depravity, in the middle of the wicked humanity in which we live, you can find hope in Christ. In John chapter 18, it says, for this cause I was born. Jesus was being questioned, and he said, this cause, this is the reason that I was born. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came for you and I to be our redeemer. He came to bring truth, to bring the reality of the salvation message to you and I. And Isaiah tells us that he was a tender plant, a root out of dry ground, that he would have no form or comeliness, that we should even look at him. He had no beauty that would attract us to him. There wasn't anything, I said it last week, about Jesus that would cause us to look at him and say, wow, he looks like a charismatic guy. I'd really like to follow him. 
I, 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 he looks like a really cool guy. He looks, you know, like he shops at Banana Republic and he's got the trendy look going on. I really want to follow him. He's the trendy guy. Now, there was an anointing on his life, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Peter said, with the Holy Ghost, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. There was, there was an anointing on the life of Christ that attracted men and women to him. If you think about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ, everything about his life, everything that he was born into, led to suffering. What a great picture, our, our suffering Savior, from the very beginning, that he would come, born in a manger, not, in, not coming in as a triumphant king, but born in a stable for you and I. He was born out of marriage. You know, I think about the suffering that would come with that in that day. I mean, he was, he was scorned. The, his, Mary was looked at as if she was having an affair. There was rumors going around about this birth, about this marriage, all, all that was happening. And if that wasn't bad enough, then Herod made a decision that he was going to kill all of the baby boys. Oh, we leave that message out in the Christmas story a lot. We talk about the star, we talk about the stable, but we forget that there was mass genocide happening at the same time. Herod was killing all of the babies out of fear of this coming king. I, I, I want to say it's happening in the days in which we live. It hasn't changed. There's a fear from the enemy that's, that's trying to stop the plans and purposes of God in our day, in our age. But I, I've got news. You cannot stop the plans and the intentions and the purposes of God. Every single life that has been slain in the name of convenience or whatever title you want to put on it, it's murder. It's murder, and for every blood, the Bible tells us, if you go all the way back to the garden, if you go all the way back to Cain and, and Adam and Eve and Abel, you go all the way back, that innocent blood is crying out, and it's crying out before the Father. It's a testimony today. It reminds us today of the days of Jesus and what was taking place in his day. His brothers didn't understand him. Jesus' half-brothers, James, the writer of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus as the Savior until after the resurrection. His own, his own family questioned who he was. Have you ever been there? He grew up in Nazareth. Remember what good could come out of Nazareth? When he began his ministry, he was hated. Hated by people, hated by the religious leaders, so much so that there was assassination attempts from the very start of his ministry. Can you imagine starting your ministry with an assassination attempt? I mean, I've dealt with some pretty rough people, and we have security for a reason. But, but I, I have to say, I have not had an assassination attempt. Thank you, Lord. I've had people threaten it, but thank you, Lord, they haven't fulfilled. <laughs> He had arrest warrants on him. He had arrest warrants. People from the start of his ministry wanted him arrested, wanted him in jail. He was creating a stir. The religious leaders wanted to kill him, and his closest friends betrayed him. The people who knew him, who were closest to him, his best bud swore that he never knew him. 
All of those that were close to him ran off in hiding. And one of his own, the one responsible for the, the ministry finances, betrayed him and had him murdered. In Luke chapter 22, and starting in verse, I'm going to go to verse 39. They had just finished the evening, the Last Supper. In verse 39 it says, Coming out he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony. Everybody say that word, agony. He prayed more earnestly. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That was from the New King James Version. I'd like to read it from the Passion Translation. Jesus left the upper room with his disciples, as was his habit, and he went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. There he told the apostles, by the way, what a, what a powerful statement to say that the Mount of Olives was his place of secret prayer. When Jesus comes back to rule and reign on the earth, where is he coming to? The Mount of Olives. The Bible says that when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, that the mountain will be split and the, the water reservoir that's under that mount, which scientifically has been proven, the water that is under that mountain will flow out. I want you to, that, that's powerful. The Jesus, the place where he prayed, when he comes back, there will be a release. There's, there's spiritual connotation to that as well as just in the natural. There he told the apostles, keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe test of your faith that is about to come. Isn't it interesting that he says to them, and this isn't in my sermon notes, I just kind of want to highlight as I walk through this, but isn't it interesting that Jesus told his disciples to pray that you might be spared, but the test is coming. You see, it oftentimes the Lord calls us into a place of prayer knowing that we're going to face the test even though we're praying, Lord, spare me, the test is still coming. That's why James wrote, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Because the test is coming, the trial is coming. Pray that you might be spared because it's in that place of prayer that you gain power to be sustained. It's, it's in that place of prayer that Jesus was praying and the angel came and strengthened him. It was in that place of prayer that not only was God revealing to the son what was getting ready to take place in his life and the full scope, the full picture of what was to come was now coming into focus. It was there in that place of prayer that his purpose and his, the plans of the ages were coming into focus, but it was there where God met him and strengthened him and provided for him what was to come for the journey ahead. So the test may still come, the trial you'll still face, but it's in the place of prayer that you become prepared for the journey ahead. So he tells them to, to pray. In verse 41, it says, then he withdrew from them a short distance to be alone. Kneeling down, he prayed. 
Father, if you are willing, take this cup of agony away from me. But no matter what, your will must be mine. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him, and the angel appeared. And he prayed even more passionately, like one being sacrificed, until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping to the ground. Our suffering Savior, this agony, that word agony means to wrestle, to fight. In the, in the original Greek, it was an increased agony. That he, it wasn't just a state of being, but this, pl- this place of suffering and sorrow that he was experiencing increased all the more. This agony and this intense suffering internally in his soul, in his mind, in his will, and his emotions. Everything about him was feeling the weight and the sorrow of what was to come. He had in his view, in his, in his focus was coming the plan of the ages, that the suffering and the torment that was coming was coming upon him, and it was coming tomorrow. It wasn't just a distant thought. This wasn't just the plan of the ages. This was the reality, and it was taking place tomorrow. He was going to suffer, and he was going to die. And he was praying, and he was praying, And his agony intensified. The weight of the reality of the will of the Father was upon him. The Bible says that he came to do the will of the Father. And the weight of that will, the weight of that desire, the weight of that plan was upon him. In Psalms 22, if you'll flip over there, I love how David prophesies about the, the suffering Savior. In which we find our hope. This, this isn't a passage of scripture. What we're talking about today, yes, it, it, the, the, the tone may seem sorrowful because we take a, a deeper look at our suffering Savior. But in the middle of the sorrow is the greatest hope of the ages. In the middle of the depravity of man is the hope of the ages. I pray that today that you'll see it afresh and anew. I pray that today you'll see his sacrifice. You'll see his agony in the garden. You'll see his beating at the whipping post. You'll see the nails in his hands and his feet. That you'll see the cross. You'll see it again, but in the midst of what you see, you'll see the hope of Calvary. You'll see the hope of our suffering Savior, Jesus. In Psalms 22, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, am I not silent? But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, a no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue himself. Let him deliver himself since he delights in himself. But you are he who took me out of the womb. Jesus came. But you are the one who took me out of the womb. You made me trust 
while on my mother's breast. I was cast out, cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Hundreds of years before the crucifixion ever took place, God in his great wisdom and mercy showed David in his place of worship, in his own experience, a prophetic glimpse of what was to take place on that day. What were the apprehensions that Christ saw? What caused him to endure such agony? In Matthew chapter 20 it says, Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He was drinking in the cup of God's wrath upon humankind. The cross was the place of agony and pain. In the garden, God opened up for Christ all of the pain and the weight and the suffering that he was to endure. Matthew records three prayers that Jesus prayed. He said, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. My father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Matthew says he prayed a third time and he said the same words. The reality of what was coming was upon him. 39 times the whip would go across his backside. This, this whip was, was designed by the Romans to inflict the maximum amount of pain and breed the maximum amount of damage to a human body before they would go to crucifixion. The intention was that most of the blood would be poured out, would be wasted at the whipping post, so that when the prisoner would go to the cross, the suffering would not be long on the cross. The cross was about pain. The beating was about wasting out the blood. The, the whip had different lengths of leather. Braided into that leather was pieces of bone, pieces of metal. And the intention was that the, every time a blow was administered to the back, the legs, the backside of a person, that it would rip into the flesh all the way to the muscular bones, all, all the way to, to the muscles on the bones, and tear the, the very muscles that held the bones together. It was there that, that Jesus went to the beating post. For you and I, not only did they beat him to the point of death, but they placed a crown of thorns on his head. Not just little thorns like you might get out, little briars you might 
get out in the woods, but, but long thorns that, dr that drove deep into his skull, deep into his, his forehead, ripping his flesh. They put a robe around him, this body that had been ripped to shreds. You ever had a piece of cloth or a band-aid or something gets stuck to an open wound? And you pull it off and you feel like, man, that hurt. And it just rips open the scab and causes it to start bleeding again. Think about Jesus' entire backside with a garment draped over it. And the Bible says they ripped it off of him and took the staff they had given him and drove the crown of thorns deeper on his head. Not only did they mock him, not only did they beat him, but they put him through the worst torment. And then they said to take him off the beating post. And they attached to his arms. They stretched out his arms and attached, tied to his arms, the cross beam of the cross that he was to carry. After being beat to that degree, he now had to carry the cross beam of his cross out to Golgotha. And he carries it. We know that he can't make it the whole entire way because he's been beaten so severely. And at the place of crucifixion, crucifixion wasn't, wasn't pretty. It wasn't a clean death. They would drive nails, seven, eight inch nails, in through the wrist to attach the arms to that crossbeam. And from there, they would raise that crossbeam up onto the top of the, the wood beam that would hold it into place and drop it into place. The body hanging from the nails. And from there, they would twist the legs so that they could get the feet in the right position to drive a nail between the bones of the feet right in the middle of your foot. It was there in, in between the bones of your wrist, the body could support itself, but it was those small bones in your feet that could hold the weight of the suffocating, dying criminal. You see, when you're hanging on a cross, it's not necessarily even anymore about the pain that you're feeling as the nerves in your arms have been severed from the nails. The, the pain, doctors tell us that the pain that you would feel in your hand would be absolutely like fire in your hands from the severed nerves. Even causing some hands, because losing the, the nerves would cause the hands to become like claws and to curl up involuntarily because of, the, of what was taking place. If that wasn't bad enough, it was about the suffocation. Is this making you uncomfortable? I hope it is. The, 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 the suffocating criminal would then have to push up on the nail in his feet in order to get breath. The Bible tells us that not a bone in his body would be broken. The, the murderers would take a device, a 
a hammer, something, and be, would break the bones of the legs of the victims so that they would suffocate. That was the point of the broken bones. They went to the other criminals, broke their bones, but Jesus' bones wouldn't break. It had been prophesied that his bones wouldn't break. And so instead, they grab a spear and run it, some say, through the right side of his thoracic side of his body, which would then have pierced his lung and his heart. We know that from the gospel accounts that the blood and the water poured out, it tells us that he was already dead. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. Every step of that process, every step of the death was prophesied. It was prepared beforehand for you and I. Every step of that crucifixion, from the beating to Judas to the death on the cross and how he died was prepared beforehand for you and I. God ordered the steps of the righteous even unto death. And he used the depravity of man, the wickedness of man, to accomplish the sacrifice of the ages that would pay for your sin and mine. In John chapter 8, it says, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. From the very outset of his ministry, he taught his disciples that the end of this, I'm not coming to be uh, an overtaker of the Roman Empire. I've not come to, to, to overthrow the, the rulers of this age. There's coming a day that that's going to happen. But today, that's, that's not why I'm here. I came to be a lamb led to the slaughter. I came to bring hope in the middle of hopelessness. I came to be a light in the middle of the dark world. He always had that day in view. But in the garden, we find that the reality of that set upon him. Like the... Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus was brought to the entrance of the furnace. And the father said to him, will you go in? Will you trust me? Will you go in through the furnace? Will you worship me? Will you walk with me in spite of the furnace heat? You know that you're about to suffer. Will you go with me? I, I have a question for you. You know that suffering is coming upon humanity. Will you still walk with him? Will you follow in Christ's example in the middle of suffering? Will you hold on to the hope of Christ that has been led out before you? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We have an example in Christ's death of how we ought to live. We don't get our focus on the things of this world. Our eyes are not on the flames of the furnace. Our eyes are not on the flames at the, at, at the whipping post. Our eyes are not on the flames of the torments of others. Our eyes are focused like lasers upon Christ. We see in this Christ submission to the Father. He was absolutely overwhelmed with agony 
but it was from a deluge of his love for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There was quite the deluge of grief, but with it was his ocean of vast love for you and I. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. It was the corruption and the wickedness of men that contrived and affected his death. It was the wickedness of men that agreed with Judas. It was the wickedness of men that betrayed him and that apprehended him and bound him and led him away. It was by men's corruption and wickedness that he was arraigned and falsely accused and unjustly judged. It was by men's wickedness that he was reproached, mocked, and spit upon. It was by men's wickedness that Barabbas was preferred before him. It was men's wickedness that laid the cross upon him to bear and that nailed him to it and put him to such a cruel and inhumane death. Isaiah tells us, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son was given. Unto the depravity and to the wickedness of humanity, a son was given. The father knew from the very outset, what the wickedness of man would do to a holy person. One set apart for such a cause as this. The Father knew what was going to take place. Jesus still humbled himself, came, manifest himself among us, became our mediator. He endured the hatred of humanity. He willingly gave up his life. He was raised from the dead. Freely gives you and I all things. And is currently seated right now in heaven. Interceding for you and I. He has submitted himself fully to the plans and purposes of God. And we become the benefactors. We become the receptors of, of the blessings that come in Christ. There's an old hymn that says, I stand amazed. In the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And suffered and died alone. When with the ransomed in glory. His face I at last shall see. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Jesus. 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 He came. He submitted himself to the will of the Father for you and I. He took the cup of agony for you and I. He took up the cup of suffering for you and I. And in the midst of it, we find our hope. He could have easily excused himself. <laughs> he could have easily said when Judas showed up, sorry, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> he could have ran away to a remote area. He could have just said to his disciples, you fight, I'm, I'm running. Peter, you got the right idea. Everybody grab a sword. <laughs> it, 
if it were if it were in today's generation there would have been somebody filming it on Facebook live trying to excuse him from what was to come they would try to get the video into evidence and try to get him off when they came and they said we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth when we're looking for this man and when Jesus said I am he 500 soldiers fell under the power of the Lord they all fell under his power when he said those words he had the authority and the power at that point to excuse himself and to step out of what was to come he didn't run he stayed and allowed them to arrest him, allowed them to lead him to the court. In this we see his glory. In this we see his glory, not my will, but yours be done. In humanity, in the days in which we live, we describe success very differently. We would say that success is not giving in to defeat. We would say that success is not giving in to the enemy. We would say that success is not, is not yielding and humbling yourself, but to be the overcomer, to, be, to, to demonstrate your authority, to demonstrate your, your abilities. We would define success as a lot different than what we find demonstrated for us here in the scripture. Jesus humbled himself, emptied himself of all of that heavenly glory to become a man, laid it aside, stepped into humanity for you and I. And he said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you brought yourself to that point of submission to the Father? We're in the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of despair. You can say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Christ's agony was different than those who will suffer for their own wickedness. We have to look at the suffering Savior and know that he took my suffering. He took my agony. He became my sacrifice. But to those who reject him, to those who do not receive him as Savior, that suffering, the weight of the wrath of a holy God is upon them and it's their own to bear. Without the mediator of Christ, the weight of God's judgment and the wrath that is to come will be fully poured out upon that individual without measure for all eternity. The wrath that Christ suffered was different and that Christ knew that the Father loved him. Christ did not have a guilty conscience that was condemning him while he was on the cross. He was absolutely innocent. There was no torment inwardly in his life that was telling him, you could have done better. 
you sinner, you horrible person, tormented him about his, the skeletons in his closet, the things that were haunting him. And tor- he didn't have all of that. He knew that he wasn't suffering like the wicked would suffer in hell. Yet there's coming a day where those outside of Christ will carry the weight of that agony. The torment of their sin will be upon them. The internal conflict, the internal guilt, the weight of that guilt will be their own to carry. And it will be done in a place called hell for all eternity, where the judgment and the fury of God at its absolute maximum strength will be laid upon you. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of mercy. But there's coming a day where the judgment of God will come upon those who do not know Christ. For now, Christ has gone into the furnace. He's carried the weight of our sin. He's carried the weight of our guilt. He cleanses our conscience clean. He makes us new. He obliterates the account that's against us. But to those outside of Christ... To those who don't know him, the weight of their sin is upon them. The weight of their guilt is upon them. The weight of their judgment is upon them. And yet they're standing at the mouth of the furnace. And at any moment could fall into the despair of God's judgment. And have no clue, have no idea that judgment is right at their door. Have no idea that judgment is impending upon them. To you and I who know Christ, we have a responsibility to cry aloud in the streets that judgment is coming. Repent is the gospel message. It always has been. It always will be. It's not how to be successful in this life. It's about the repentance that leads to redemption for the next life. That's what the gospel message is. Yes, there's benefits to salvation. Yes, in this life we receive of his goodness. But the central theme of the gospel has been, will be, always for eternity, will ever be that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, and Jesus still delivers. He heals your soul. He heals your guilty conscience. He's taken the weight of your guilt and your sin and your depravity upon himself. Bible tells us that the chastisement of my peace, the penalty for your peace was upon him. This baby, this innocent baby, this innocent baby, this innocent child. I have to stop and think for a moment. For my kids. For my, for my kids. If that were my child. What would that mean? That Mary knew from the outset. Worship team, you can come back. That Mary knew from the outset. The angels had told her the story. It had been prophesied. She knew the story. That Jesus would be the Lamb of God. 
that would take away the sins of the world, that he would become the redeemer. Mama, Daddy, think about that for a moment. Think about the weight of that reality. Think about the weight of that reality that your son or your daughter would suffer. I got news for you. My chi- I'm not giving up my child for any of y'all. <laughs> and you would probably say the same. You wouldn't allow them to go to, through such horrific death or experience, to be ridiculed. You would stop it at all costs. Heather and I were talking about this week, you know, what would we do if someone kidnapped our child? There was a situation going on in town. A kid had run away with someone, and we were talking about that experience. What would we do? And I said, oh, I wouldn't stop. I would, I would, I would probably give up my everything I do. do. I, I would, I would be all focused on finding my child. I'd do everything I could to figure out where he or she was, which, you know, whatever the situation was. That baby, that innocent baby, Jesus, the punishment for your peace was upon him. The punishment so that you could have peace with God, peace with man, and peace in yourself was upon him. Are you tormented in your thoughts today? Maybe you're in the building. Maybe you're watching online. And the guilt of your decisions haunts you. Maybe things that have happened in your past torment you. Maybe it's not even your decisions. Maybe it's the decisions and the actions of someone else that torment you. And you're not at peace. Jesus paid for your peace. He paid that you would have peace in your mind, peace in your heart. You're living in offense with others. Jesus paid for you to have peace with others. There's turmoil in your family. He's paid for you to have peace in your family. Jesus took the agony of your sin. My Savior in the garden drank the cup of agony for me. He took the punishment. I deserved what he got. I, we say this as Christians all the time, it should have been on the cross. And we make it nice and put it over our baptistries in the front of our churches. But it's the most horrific death. He took it for me. He took the wrath of God for me. A holy God who demands holiness. 
took for me. And what did he do? He took all of that. And then he gave. He took the punishment. He took the agony. He took the wrath. Sounds like a bad Christmas gift to me. And then he still gave. He declared me justified. He said, you're guilty. But I'm going to declare you innocent. He redeemed me. He came into the room where I was and said, you're mine. And I'm going to give my life to buy you out of the enemy's lies. He's glorified me and is glorifying me. He's, he's taking this physical, natural carnal shell of a human that I am and he's changing me, transforming me and someday I will be glorified I'll have a new body I'll be living immortally, eternally he's seated with, he's, he has seated me in heavenly places with him I no longer bear the identity. <laughs> I want you to think about for a moment. Out ahead of the crucifixion, when they, when they would crucify someone, a centurion soldier would walk ahead of the convicted, carrying a sign. And on that sign, it would identify who the person was, who the convicted was behind them. And they'd carry a sign. So everybody they passed would know this was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They attached that sign to his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They had to do that so that people would know they were so mutilated, so badly mutilated people, you couldn't even identify who they were. By the time that they were being led out to the crucifixion hill, they had to have a sign to know who they were. You have been so badly mutilated by sin. The depravity of humanity has marred the image of God in your life. The sinfulness of this world that you were born into mars the uniqueness of what God made you to be. So much so that we attach signs to our lives to try to tell everybody who we are, how we're going to be successful, what's our identity. We try to find our identity in the things we do, the roles we play, and we put these signs all over. Jesus Jesus says, give me the Give me the marred identity. I've made you in my image. And he restores us. He restores my soul. He restores my identity. He restores my mind. He restores my will. He restores my emotions. And he seats me with him. He places me in a heavenly seat. In a royal seat. 
his identity. I sit with him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm seated with him as a son or daughter of God. You're seated with him. He's called you a joint heir. Everything that's in Christ is accessible to you and I. He's anointed you. The same power with which God anointed him is upon you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you. He's brought you into fellowship with him, with himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You have fellowship. And he's pouring out his love upon you. He's shed abroad his love in our hearts. He's pouring out his love upon us. Yeah, God so loved the world that he gave. He took some things. He took some things so I didn't ever have to experience them. And he gave me some things I never deserved to have. He took the things I deserved and gave me what I didn't. That's the baby who was born in a manger for you and I. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Jesus, my suffering Savior, Jesus, my suffering Savior, <laughs> oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. How is it with your soul today? With every head bowed and eye closed, how is it with you in Christ today? How is it with you in Christ today? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have peace with God? Is there peace in your heart with God? I'm not talking about have you prayed a prayer at some point. I'm talking about today. How is it with you and Jesus today? It's not about good works or being a good person. Judas was a good person. Judas handled the money and took care of the poor. So much so he made a fit over when the woman wasted her oil on Jesus' feet because he wanted to sell it for the poor. You could do good things and still be a traitor. You can do good things and still not be in love with Jesus. How is it with your soul? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need to be at peace with God. I need him to forgive me. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I need salvation today. I need this gift. I need Christ's gift of salvation today. If that's you and you're here this morning, I want you to just lift your hand wherever you're at. Say, Pastor, that's me. I want to pray with you this morning. There's no embarrassment in this. It's just saying, Lord, I, I, need, I need Jesus today. And I'm going to make a public statement. I need Jesus today. Just lift your hand in this place. Anyone this morning, anyone this morning, I need to be at peace with the Lord today. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? If you're watching online, how is it with your soul? 
If you need Christ today, we're going to pray in just a moment. And as we do, I want you to pray with us. And then I want you to go on our website. Tell us that you prayed with us. If you're watching us, I want you to go on our website, ccakron.org. In the middle of the page, it says virtual connect card. Fill that out so that we know that you've prayed with us today. Anyone else this morning, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Just raise your hand before we move on. Thank you, Jesus. I want us all to pray together. I want you to pray out loud so you can hear yourself. We're going to pray together. There's no special magic in this prayer. It's just a prayer, us praying together, a prayer of faith together. Everybody together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me. I believe I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now listen.